This is the Fighter Pilot Podcast, Episode 8. This week, attack, bomber, cargo, drone, electronic, fighter. Retired U.S. Navy Lieutenant Commander Josh Larson explains the ABCs of aircraft nomenclature. Let's roll. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Vincent Aiello, host of the Fighter Pilot Podcast, the internet radio show that explores the fascinating world of air combat. We have a great interview coming up for you today. Josh and I are going to talk about aircraft nomenclature, what all the letters and numbers mean, not just in U.S. aircraft, but also in European, Russian, and Chinese aircraft. Uh, But before we get to that, as always, we'll bang through a few announcements here. And then I think since we have a slightly shorter interview than normal, we should be able to get caught up on some of our questions. All right. First up, as always, I like to let listeners know where air shows are happening. So for those of you in Southern Texas, I recommend you check out the Wings Over Southern Texas Air Show. It's coming up March 24th and 25th at NAS, or Naval Air Station, Kingsville, which is about an hour southwest of Corpus Christi, two hours east of Laredo, and a little over two hours south of San Antonio. If you have a Saturday or Sunday off, pack up the family, grab mom and the dog. Well, maybe not dogs. I don't know if they allow those. Probably not. But anyway, get out there with some sunscreen and go check out the Blue Angels, which will be the headliner, as well as all the other acts that will be taking place out there. The Thunderbirds obviously have shows going on as well, as do a lot of other places around the country. Look for one in your area and go take a kid to an air show. Take yourself to an air show. It's a lot of fun, and it's great to see what the performers can do with those aircraft out there. All right. Well, let's get into the questions then. Uh, My first one is from Wolfgang from Germany. Now, Wolfgang sent me a very thoughtful, long email with pictures of himself and his family and talks about his love for aviation in general. Uh, But the question I wanted to share with all of you was when he asks, does it ever happen that a person has stolen a military jet for a, quote, short trip? And yes, Wolfgang, it does, or at least it has once. Uh, I know of a story of a young Marine corporal who took an A-4 Skyhawk for a joyride in 1986. And of all things, he decided to do it at night, which is crazy. Uh, But this kid apparently had been a glider pilot in high school and had set some endurance records or altitude records, I think it was. And I don't know what came over him, but he just decided today or tonight is the night that I'm going to take an A4 instead of working on it. I'm going to fly it. So I'll put some links in the show notes to where you can read up on that. Uh, But yes, Wolfgang, I have heard of that. I don't know what happened to the guy. I heard he got arrested when uh, when he landed. But after that, not sure. I'm guessing he's out of jail by now. All right, next, let's go to a phone call. Good day, Jello. This is Richard from Boston, Massachusetts. I just want to say I really enjoy your podcast, and it's quickly become one of my favorites that I listen to. Uh, my question to you is this. As an aviator, if you could travel in time and fly any fighter aircraft that has uh, been built in this age of military aviation, what would you choose? I'm not a pilot, but I've always loved the North American F-86 Sabre. It just looks beautiful, uh, and it seems to be the pinnacle of a pure dogfighter before the advent of air-to-air missiles became common. So I uh, love the show, and I respect what you did for our country. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Take care, sir. Ooh, intriguing question, Richard. Man, that's a tough call. There are a lot of amazing aircraft out there. I mean, it would have been fun to fly the F-14 or the F-4. Uh, and there's even some Russian aircraft I would love to have flown, MiG-29 or Su-27. But I think if you had to hold me to one, all right, I might give you two. It might either be the P-38 Lightning or the P-51 Mustang, both from World War II fame. Those, to me, just were always, as I was a child growing up, intrigued in aviation and still am, as you know. uh, Those were always the ones that kind of captured my attention, like the F-86 did for you. So I would have to say probably one of those. And you know what? It's not not too late. Uh, There are still P-51s racing in uh, the Reno Air Races and elsewhere. So who knows? Maybe someone will call me up and say, come race my airplane and... Well, that would be something. But yeah, let's go with the P-38. I think that would have to be 
because I don't think there's too many more of those out there. So that, let, let's narrow it down to just that one. All right, next, we have a question on Facebook posed by Bruce, and we'll answer this one in multiple parts. He says, hey, Vincent, love the podcast. Easily the most lively aviation podcast out there. I'm a 22-year-old, soon-to-be college graduate working to commission to the U.S. Air Force through officer training school. I was wondering if you could touch on your experience after serving, transitioning from a military pilot to a commercial pilot. I'm hoping to fly fighters, then head off to a domestic major airline. Well, Bruce, in high school, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. But as I was wrapping up my military career, I have to confess, I was not so sure where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. And I ended up just continuing to dip a toe, if you will, into the pool of being an airline pilot simply because nothing else came along and captured my imagination or attention quite like being a fighter pilot did when I was in high school. So I knew I needed to put food on the table and I just kept pursuing what it would take to get a job with an airline why I hoped something else would come along. But I'll tell you that since I've now been with an airline almost a year, I am very glad for the move that I've made because the benefits are great. The compensation is good. Uh, the ability to travel and the time off is also great. Uh, so for me, it was just a function of figuring out what needed to be done, getting the necessary qualifications, and then applying and interviewing and thankfully being hired. Uh, a lot of people do pursue that like you're talking about, and I think you'll do just fine because the airlines, by all accounts, will be hiring for several years since the economy is doing well and the pool of pilots in general is aging. So I think you'll do just fine with that plan, Bruce, and look me up someday again if you ever have uh, more questions on that. Next, he asks, what kind of flight time did you have when you applied and how long did that take to accrue flying with the Navy? I left the Navy after 24 years and a little over six months of service, I had flown all but the very first year while I sat around waiting to start flight school, as well as almost four years from 2010 to 2000, what was it, uh, 13, while I was recovering from a minor health concern that I was then able to fly again from. So in roughly 20 years of flying, I accrued over 3,800 flight hours, of which over 3,000 were in the F-18 a through F. Next, Bruce asks, where were, excuse me, were there any issues you had to overcome when transitioning from a fighter to a transport category airplane? Thanks for the information. I always love how technical you and your guests can get. Well, the transition was, you know, not that difficult. I mean, we'd already flown in the same airspace as the airliner. So speaking with the air traffic controllers and just, you know, knowing that when you pull back, the houses get smaller. When you push forward, the houses get bigger, you know, in the airplane. That, that part's all the same. The hard part for me was kind of giving up, if you will, the, the respect, the purpose, the brotherhood, and the honor of being a military pilot. And I think there's plenty of dignity in being a civilian commercial pilot. But it's not like in the military. You know, the, the respect is overwhelming. And I'm almost embarrassed, frankly, at ball games and various other parades and everything at how much they dote on military these days compared to our veteran, uh, I should say, Vietnam predecessors who got spat on when they came home. Uh, so, you know, just giving up that sense of belonging and patriotism and, and brotherhood was a bit of a change. Uh, but that's part of the reason I started the podcast. So that's actually to your all's benefit in that regard. Okay, next I have a question from Vin from Hawaii, who asks, Hello, I love your podcast. Very informative. When you attended Survival Evasion Resistance Escape School, or SEER, what was that experience like? Thank you, and have a good day. Well, thanks for your question, Vin. You know, when we finished that training, we were told not to disclose details because it would protect the effectiveness of it for future students. And as fate would have it, your question comes at a perfect time because our interview today, as you'll find out here in a moment or two, is with a former SEER instructor. So we dance around the idea of bringing him back to talk about it. But the idea is, you know, it, it is a training evolution that is intended to be as realistic as possible because as the saying goes, you want to sweat in training so you don't bleed in combat. And the idea is that if students know what's going to happen, it won't be as effective or impacting on them. So they ask us not to talk too much about it, but let's save that one for a future show, perhaps. Okay. 
All right, let's take another phone call. Hey, Jello, this is Brennan from Virginia. I was calling to uh, leave a, a couple questions for you. Um, so, yeah, thanks uh, first for the uh, awesome podcast. Definitely been enjoying it and uh, listening along to uh, all the episodes so far. Uh, my question for you was to maybe share some of your little tricks or techniques that you used or uh, any of your pilot, other fighter pilots used uh, in the Hornet to kind of gain an advantage. Um, and I'm kind of thinking of non-textbook type of maneuvers uh, in a one-on-one -on -one BFM scenario. Um, I've heard different talks from different pilots um, using different tricks, and I'm just curious what you may have used in your career. Uh, interested to hear a little bit more about it. All right, thanks a lot, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks for your question, Brennan. You know, I have heard of tricks in other aircraft, such as manipulating the wings in the F-14 or selecting flaps in the A-4. But in the F-A-18, with its digital fly-by-wire flight controls, there's really not much more you can do to quote-unquote trick the system. When you make control stick inputs, the aircraft already judges your inputs as well as temperature, airspeed, and a host of other factors and gives you a combination of flight control responses to give you the best possible performance. So I had no tricks. And nor does Top Gun recommend any quote-unquote tricks. Now, if you didn't catch this from Episode 7, I guess it's a failure on my part. But Top Gun is an organization. Their charter is to look at our capabilities and look at the threat and come up with the best way for us to defeat the threat and stay alive. And so if there were tricks, well, then Top Gun would be recommending them. There really wouldn't be tricks anymore. Everybody would be doing them. But again, there's not much you can do in the F-18. You just fly the aircraft and you perform according to Top Gun recommendations. And generally, you will have the best performing fight you possibly can. But thanks for your question. Okay, one more question. This one from Anthony in Australia who says, Great podcast. What contingency is there in the case where a pilot is having a really bad day or night and just can't get back aboard the carrier during blue water operations? Is there an auto land? or rig the barricade solution like on that movie, The Final Countdown? Thank you for your question, Anthony. And in case people have forgotten from our aerial refueling episode with Dud, blue water operations simply means you are operating somewhere where there are no good divert fields to go to. The carrier is your only operation. So Anthony, we will have future episodes on carrier operations, so I will keep this quick and we will elaborate on it more then. Uh, but the first thing that will happen is the pilot will be sent to the tanker to get some more fuel. And the landing signal officers will increase their involvement. And so in other words, the first time landing, they may not say anything unless there's something that's required for safety. But by you know the third or fourth pass, they may come up on the radio and try to soothe the pilot by saying, you're doing fine, here's what we're seeing, next time down, just do this. And then the next time down, the landing signal officers might give them a little sugar, as we call it. You're looking good, you're on glide slope, you're on course, and then they'll just talk them down and try to get them aboard. If that does not work, then yes, we do have a barricade option, which is just a giant net that catches the aircraft. But the problem with that is if you're struggling to land as a pilot, well, then you've really got to be on your game on the barricade because that requires precision. And you have an issue where if you're not looking good, the landing signal officers have to wave you off much sooner because now you have to avoid not just the ship, but that raised barricade as well. Uh, yes, there is a auto land. We call it a mode one, as you correctly identified. And that will couple up the aircraft, both flight controls and throttles, and allow it to follow signals beamed from the ship down to a landing. And in the old days, not so much these days, another option was to have the pilot fly alongside the carrier and eject. Not a great solution, but it works. Uh, you save the pilot and lose the airplane, of course, uh, but that's the way it goes. And then the final comment I would make is that, you know, even though we call it blue water ops, in this day and age, you're almost never truly blue water. Uh, there is a scenario, it's been a couple of years now, where two F-18s collided in midair, but they both were still flying. And I don't remember all the details, but as I recall, they were out in the middle of the Pacific, and there was no suitable diverts, but what they did was they took a couple looks at them to try to get them to land on the aircraft carrier, and when it was clear that it just wasn't going to work, what they ended up doing was creating a tanker brigade, and they would leapfrog the aircraft from tanker to tanker. I think they ended up going almost, 
I don't know, maybe 600, 800 miles all the way to either Wake Island or Midway. And they were finally able to land at a suitable divert. So even though we call it blue water, truth is you're almost never truly blue water. There's always a solution that you can come up with. But thanks for your question, Anthony. All right. I think that will do it then for questions for this week. Let's get into the interview once again. It's with Josh Larson. We're going to talk about aircraft nomenclature. And if you're operating a vehicle or heavy machinery, you might want to uh, pull over or set it aside for now. I mean, okay, not really. But, you know, we do get a little twisted around the various letters and numbers. And uh, if you're not paying attention, it can get a little confusing. So bear with us as we do our best to explain the nomenclature or conventions associated with how we and other countries name our aircraft. All right, here we go. All right, Popeye, welcome to the Fighter Pilot Podcast, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Jill. I appreciate it, uh, and thanks for inviting me over. Okay, you're welcome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, please meet my friend, retired lieutenant commander from the United States Navy, Josh Larson, call sign Popeye. And he is here today to help us talk about aircraft nomenclature, naming conventions, etc. cetera. Uh, but before we do, Popeye, we always have a little tradition here on the show that we'd like to get to know our guest. So if you would, please give us a quick summary of where you're from, what your career is like, and what you're doing now. Yeah, no worries. Uh, originally grew up in Iowa. I was a young kid. I joined the Navy at uh, 17 years old. I was 16 joining the Navy uh, the day I turned 17. Didn't want to be a farm kid, so uh, I was done with that. My dad was prior Navy. My grandpa was prior Navy. My dad was a John Deere mechanic for about 45 years. But, uh, joined the Navy, came uh, enlisted, uh, worked my way up. Uh, I was an aviation hydraulic structural mechanic and then an air crew on uh, Takamo, the take charge move out uh, E6A and E6B out of Oklahoma. Then went on to be a SEER instructor here in San Diego. And then after that, uh, applied, became an S3 pilot, and then uh, later transitioned to that because that went to the boneyard and died off and sundowned and became an F-18 pilot after that. Uh, a lot of admin jobs after that, but uh, now I fly for uh, one of the big three uh, uh, airlines, and life is great. Excellent. All right, so how on earth do you join the Navy at 16? Oh, uh, extra uh, home ec and shop classes, <laughs> <laughs> carrying around those little bags of sugar and uh, taking extra uh, ag and welding classes, which were probably my most valuable classes learned in life. And then uh, the school board had to sign off on that. And my parents had to sign off on that, too. Okay. And then you said you were a SEER instructor, which is survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. So Absolutely. you taught people how to deal with possibly getting shot down and the ramifications of that. Right. How to uh, avoid enemy uh, capture uh, before uh, being captured, how to evade. Uh, if you are captured, how to resist with illegalities before, during, and after you're captured, escaping from the enemy, uh, ult ultimately, and getting back with... Uh, with uh, honor to your yeah. to your nation. Well, we could almost do an entire episode on that. So you might have to be our first repeat uh, customer. Yeah, come back and talk about that sometime. And then, how did you end up getting a commission from enlisted to officer? I went through college and knocked out uh, my bachelor on degree your own time? on my own time oh, wow. on the side while I was uh, fully deployed. My first year in Tacoma, I was gone for a thousand hours. And that is a lot of flying hours. That was the maximum you could fly and still is uh, in a, in a one-year period. And on the side, I was doing uh, flight school, um, putting myself through flight school and became an instructor and opened my own flight instructing uh, school business in Oklahoma while I was consecutively deploying and consecutively working, uh, you know, uh, shop hours, uh, fixing aircraft when I'm not deployed and putting myself through college. So I finished college in two years and eight weeks with honors, oddly enough. So I think people can get a quick uh, impression of you. Uh, you you don't sit on your laurels very much. You're uh, a, <laughs> you are a take charge and uh, get it done guy. So I try to be standing. All right. Well, today, like we said, we're talking about aircraft nomenclature, uh, and there's basically four kinds of aircraft we're going to talk about today. So we have the U.S. system, we have European aircraft, we have Russian and Chinese aircraft. Uh, so in the U.S., we have a system that they devised in the 60s, right? And that guides our naming. What's that all about? Uh, 1962 is the uh, the MDS. So it's the military designation system. So it's essentially, it's a numbering system to kind of break down the call signs and the nomenclature and, and what means what for each designation for numerical and alphanumeric uh, numeral and numbering system. So let's just talk, for example, the Lockheed C-130 Hercules, right? So we've got a manufacturer, 
We've got a designation, and in this case, the C, uh, the C and the 130. We've got the name, which is the Hercules, and then we've got some suffix letters. Okay, so the first part of that is just the manufacturer. And, you know, people I think are familiar with Boeing and Lockheed Martin and whatnot. But the first letter, as you discussed, it means something, right? So we have, obviously, 26 letters in our alphabet. We use all but one of them. And so the letter A, for example, what, what, what's that going to mean when we see an aircraft with an A in its name? It's an attack, a specifically ground attack. Okay, so tactical type stuff, like an A-10, right? Uh, absolutely. So we're going to use the C-130 example quite a bit because there are actually 17 different variants on this aircraft. And so a C-130, as we'll get to the letter C in a moment, is kind of the core base aircraft. But we have an AC-130, which if anyone's ever seen like Lone Survivor or in some of these other movies, it's the C-130. It's got all the tank-sized guns sticking out the side. So that's an attack aircraft. Um, so the A in that case is not an A-130, but an AC-130. So the letter can also modify the actual aircraft itself. Okay, so what about B? So A is attack, B is bomber, but what's the difference between attack and bomber? I would say the A is specifically an attack tactical type of aircraft, while the B is more of a strategic long plan type of aircraft. Okay, yeah, so like a B-52 or a B-2, those are going to, in some cases, leave all the way from the United States and attack targets in other countries around the world. So whereas an A aircraft uh, attack, A-10, it's loitering right there in the... uh, in the battlefield or the AC-130. Okay, uh, how about C? C is going to be a cargo or transport type of aircraft. Okay, C-130, C-2, C-5, C-17. There's a lot of those, and that's just moving bullets, Band-Aids, beans, people, all kinds of things wherever they need to go. All right, uh, now you don't hear about too many aircraft that start with the letter D. I had to look this one up, and I found that it means drone, but it's not a drone aircraft. It's like a drone, what, controlling aircraft. Absolutely. And that's uh, pretty much uh, like a UAV, unmanned aerial vehicle, or an unmanned aerial system on the vehicles now. Okay. So a DC-130, I looked up, means that there's probably someone in the back of that aircraft that is controlling some drones. But I, I don't know about you. I don't hear that happening too often. It seems like most of the controllers are land-based somewhere. But E, what's the E for? Electronic Specifically electronic attack. (laughs) Well, not always, right? So you have the E2. You flew the E6, correct? Yeah. And so it wasn't just electronic. It was also what? Communications. Right. Electronic surveillance, surveillance, electronic communication, electronic attack. But just electronics. There's a lot of uh, electrical gear on there that do specific missions uh, within kind of the C4I network, the uh, command control communications, computers, kind of intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance Mm -hmm. network. And then, like you said, the E can also be electronic attack. So you can have an E. So you flew the E6, but there's also the EA6. Which everyone confuses because when I I flew it, it was the E6A and it became the E6B, which is not (laughs) to be confused with the EA6B Prowler. (laughs) Which is now retired, so maybe that'll help. But it's it's, uh, been replaced by the EA18, which is essentially a two-seat, Super Hornet that's been modified for electronic attack. So it can uh, pick up uh, electronic signals. It can attack with electronic signals. It can shoot anti-radiation missiles, et cetera. All right. Now, we're all pretty familiar with F. F stands for fighter. So we've got the F-14, 15, 16, 18, et cetera. Uh, What about G? Uh, G, that's, uh, you stumped me on that one. I, I even did research. I found nothing on the G. Okay. Well, the, the only thing I found was glider which I don't think there's too many gliders anymore. There were in World War II, but I'm guessing they didn't go by this nomenclature. Uh, But I also found another C-130, Josh, the GC-130. And apparently it's no longer flying. It's just modified for ground instruction. Wow. So in that case, I guess the G stands for ground. See, I learned something new. All right. Excellent. All right. How about H? H, specifically helicopters. Okay. So H stands for helicopter. Uh, You know what I also learned? It stands for SAR. There is an HC-130 for search and rescue. Wow. But for the most part, yeah, H2, H3, H60, we're all used to H standing for helicopter. All right, I told you we had 25 letters. The I is the one letter we don't use. I presume it's because it looks like a one, maybe? Probably. I don't, I don't know. All right, let's go on to the J then. Junkers is the only thing I found from uh, the old <laughs> Nazi aircraft, JU-88. Uh, well, but this is a U.S. system we're talking about, right? Right, so I got okay. nothing for you. All right, I got you. I, look, Google, man, it's where it's at. I found out that J is a temporary designation for test, whereas 
N is like a permanent designation for test. So specifically, there was a JCH53 alpha, and the CH53 is the Sikorsky's um, set stallion, right? C stallion or, or super stallion. And so apparently, at least in that case, when they turned it into a JCH, they must have modified it for a little while to do some sort of testing, not sure what. Uh, but I guess the point is, as you said a moment ago, you, you couldn't find much, and we're not going to see too many J aircraft flying at the local air show, are we? Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, which takes us to K. What is K? Uh, K is specifically refueling. It's a tanker. So the K out of the word tanker is for refueling. So again, we have a KC-130. Uh, interestingly, though, we don't take the Super Hornet and put a K in front of it when it's equipped. Nor did we the S-3. Uh, the KS-3. That's true. There was no such thing. But there was a KA-6. Correct. The intruder. And let's see, what else is there? There's the uh, KC-135. There's a few other different aircraft. All right. How about L? L, I found equipped for cold weather ops when I Googled that one. Right. So again, there is a LC-130 equipped with the skis. So if it goes down to Antarctica uh, or up to the polar ice caps that can uh, operate in those extreme environments with those uh, skis and whatnot. All right. How about the letter M? Uh, Mine countermeasure, MCM. I also found it meant multi-mission. Did you find that anywhere? Uh, multi-mission, uh, I, modified mission is what I found, Okay, actually. modified, multi, yeah, that makes sense. So we have an MC-130. We have an MV-22 Osprey. We have MH-60s, uh, right? So helicopters, modified for various purposes. So, yeah, M is, uh, and what was the first thing you said, though? Mine countermeasures. Mine countermeasures. Huh. Right, MCM. MCM, okay, excellent. All right. We already talked about the N. That is a test. And again, there is an NC-130 that is out there running around doing test type stuff. How about O? Uh, observation, the uh, old OV-10. Not so old. I think they're still flying those. Yeah, they're really old, yeah. I think, uh, design-wise. Yeah, though, right? gonna, yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> Vietnam era. But I've got a buddy, uh, Convoy, who's flying those in some sort of civilian capacity. Neat. So uh, yeah, they're, they're still out there. Okay. Observation, like the OV-10. How about P? P, patrol, like P-3s, P-8s. Yeah, maritime patrol specifically. Correct, yeah. mm-hmm. And if, again, I did find a PC-130. I don't know what they were doing with it. You know, the Coast Guard has C-130s, but I don't think they call them PC-130s. So who knows? Maybe they just made one just so they could say they had the most variations on the Hercules. Not really sure. All right. How about Q? Q is a drone specifically, like a Reaper, um, QF4, uh, many different uh, variants of the uh, drones out there, you, the unmanned aerial vehicles and systems. Right. So the Reaper is what, like a surveillance type aircraft. And right. even, does it do some attack? I know there's some drones with. There is the Army weaponized uh, okay. Reaper. Weaponized variant. Yeah. Uh, but there are also, like you said, the QF4, which is a drone, as well as the QF16, I'm sad to say, because we had to compete with that program for parts in Fallon for our F16s. Uh, but those are drones specifically that they sometimes shoot down which is a rather unglorified ending to a great aircraft in both of those cases, the Phantom and the Fighting Falcon. Uh, but yes, that is a drone uh, target in that case. All right, how about R? R reconnaissance, uh, like the SR-71. Right, or Black the RC-130. Yeah, so absolutely. doing some sort of reconnaissance. And the R of the SR-71 also takes us to the S letter next, which is, in that example, I believe either strategic or surveillance, but mainly the S is used for another purpose, as you well know from your background. Yeah, uh, S3, S, uh, surveillance is the big thing on that. Okay. Uh, you know, so, uh, Reconnaissance uh, kind of goes uh, synom- synonymous with that as well. Oh, I was trying to uh, tee you up. Is it not necessarily like anti-submarine? It was originally, I think, as a anti-submarine type mission. But uh, when I left, you know, they were justifying everything it could possibly do. So it was a very multi-role type of aircraft platform. So it did tanking. It did ASW. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. I wasn't talking just about the S3, although I agree with you. Uh, I meant specifically the letter S. I thought it also meant anti-submarine. Right. It does. Oh, okay. In the Navy, yes. So we've got surveillance and anti-submarine. Okay, perfect. All right, T, that's an easy one, T-34, T-6. Trainers. Trainers, all right. I think there is a TC-130, I'm sorry to say. I don't know why. (laughs) According to Wikipedia, there is a TC-130 as well, but mostly T-45, T-2, TA-4J. I had a chance to fly that. Did you fly the TA-4? I did not. Uh, I was uh, a little younger for that, yeah. Excellent. All right, how about the letter U? Uh, you, you too, uh, like a U-2, it's a utility uh, aircraft. And that seems like a bit of a misnomer because the U-2, I don't know what utility means per se. I can think of 
utility like a pocket knife, but a U2, man, that's just way super high, super long range taking pictures and stuff. I, I don't think it should be more of an R. In fact, there is a TR1, right? It's basically right. the same thing. Right. Even an SR, honestly. I, yeah. I would think in, in kind of my own uh, own thought process there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. All right. How about V? Uh, v, so like um, uh, the AV8, um, kind of V-stall, uh, short field takeoff type of uh, aircraft, CV-22. Mm-hmm. So V-stall, right? So V slash STOL, which is, I think, vertical slash short takeoff and landing. Absolutely. So the V-22 Osprey, if anyone uh, has seen that, has got the tilt rotors, so it can fly like an airplane, land like a helicopter. The AV-8B Harrier, always an air show favorite. It has the ability to turn its nozzles down, and so does now the F-35B Absolutely. variant. And I think, did you say one more? Uh, the OV-10, we already talked about that. I guess just because it's got the big props and the big rectangular wing, it can take off and land in short distances as well. All right, how about W? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I got to go back. I found another V meaning, Popeye. No way. Any guesses? It's a, there is a VC-130. <laughs> I, I don't Everybody, know. His wheels are turning. VIP transport. Oh, yeah. That was my first guess. You know, and I'm guessing the Air Force One. I should have researched this. It probably has whatever that aircraft's name is. I bet it's some sort of V something. No, it's the which a, one? The Air Force. What we call Air Force One, the big 747. The president and entourage flies around in. Right, right. We should look that up. Maybe I can put that in the notes afterwards. Anyway, all right. So V also means VIP transport. Fantastic. All right, on to W. The only thing I found was uh, the old Wright Flyer Model A, uh, which was the Army uh, in 1909. Um, we, I got nothing these days. You got nothing. I think it's weather. I think there are, I don't know who flies them, whether it's NOAA. NASA or NOAA. Or NASA or somebody. But you know, every time there's a hurricane that's coming in and they fly something out in the middle of it, I don't know if they actually fly into it or just drop some sensors into it, but I think those are WC-130s. Interesting. I knew the S3, NASA had a couple S3s up until maybe five or six years ago that they flew for that 30-year stint to do icing uh, test for, hmm. for weather. But I that's, only, they... that's the only thing I've, I, could, I could relate it to. Okay. Outstanding. About X, X uh, experimental or uh, research specifically. Okay, the X one J rocket, right? That uh, Chuck Yeager flew. Absolutely. Although that was before this 1962 convention came, but again, we used the Air Force's model, so that probably worked out. Now that's different than the letter Y, which comes next, which is prototype, right? So there might have been, gee, I shouldn't say this if I'm not sure, but at one point was there like an X. 16, perhaps, but then that turned into the YF-16. I know there was one of those. I know there was the precursor to the F-18, which was the YF-17. Right, right. So those were the prototypes for those aircraft, but I don't know if they were necessarily like an X-47, which was the uh, the drone uh, test variant of that for a while. Uh, at any rate, so Y is prototype. Right. Okay. What'd you find for Z? Anything? Uh... <laughs> Nothing for the U.S., no. I got nothing. I found lighter than air, but I don't know that we're doing a whole lot of that anymore, and I can't help but wonder if they took that because of the word Zeppelin. Zeppelin. But apparently there are some balloons, blimps, et cetera, that might have a Z designation. And that was the only thing I found non-U.S. was Zeppelin uh, stacking in the R6 uh, Germany World War I, but nothing in the U.S. All right, so a bit of a laborious drive down this road, but we made it through. So those are all the letters that can come at the beginning of a U.S. aircraft today, and then comes the number. And so if I'm building the next fighter aircraft, right, so we have... Uh, there, let's see, I, the only, what's the newest aircraft I can think F-35? of using this is, well, right, that's what I'm, that is the newest, I meant to say oldest, is like an F-4, right? So there is theoretically an F-4, 5, 6, 7, blah, 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 all the way through F-35. So this is just a logical sequence of the next design, essentially. So next time they make an airplane that is a fighter, it should theoretically be something larger than 35, true? Correct. But what about the F-117, Josh? Very not a good fighter from what I understood. (laughs) Well, so that is an interesting one because it really bucks the trend all around. So first off, it wasn't even a fighter. Correct. The little research I did suggests either two things happened. One, they were trying to spoof the Soviets at the time. And they figured if they called it an A or a B, that would be a little harder to hide. Uh, But the other thing I heard was that they were trying to attract Air Force's best talent. 
And apparently there are some egos that won't fly anything that starts with an A or a B or a C, but there are plenty that will fly something that starts with an F. Correct. So I don't know if that's true, but that's what I read. So anyway, but that also took the 117. So who knows where they came up with that? So the number is just the next logical uh, model in that design. And then we have some suffix letters that follow, right? So an FA18F is what? The sixth variant. And anything more than that, does it necessarily say anything about the fact that it is, in that case, a two-seater? I would say, uh, just as a F-18 pilot, uh, knowing that A is the single seat, B is a dual seat, and then it keeps flip-flopping C, single seat, D, dual seat, E, single seat, F, dual seat, and then the G, which is not really an F-18, but it's an EA-18, the growler, which is a two-seat as well. Um, that's how that's labeled out and tells me as an F-18 pilot how many seats it has. So each next variant of the same aircraft will just get another letter. Now, the convention you just mentioned, by the way, does not hold true for the Strike Eagle. The F-15E is a two-seater, but it's the Strike Eagle. But they do have the F-18, correction, F-15, A, B, and C. And I don't even know if there's a D. I should probably look that up. But So, yeah, that that convention, though, that we listed for the, the Hornet and the Super Hornet doesn't always hold true. In fact, there's, you, let's see, you flew the S3B, right? So there Correct. was an S3A. There was. Uh, there are helicopters, an MH60S, and there's MH60R, et cetera. So, okay, so just different uh, models. And then is that pretty much it for U.S. aircraft? Oh, anything after that? Just the name itself, right? So Hornet, Super Hornet, Rhino, uh, gosh, what else is there? Viking? Right. The and then you have the official name of Hornet, and then you may have a in unofficial name that is just um, like the S3. The actual name was like the Hoover. Uh, or sorry, well, the, unof- the unofficial yeah. nickname was the Hoover, but it was the Viking. So, okay. you know, it's you, you get the um, uh, indigenous names that people come up sure. with as well. So like the Super Hornet is called the Rhino. Correct. Uh, at least we, we call it that. And uh, the F-16 Fighting Falcon is affectionately called the Viper, et cetera. All right, cool. Uh, Let's move on to European fighters. Now, their system seems, for my untrained eye, to be fairly simple. Uh, What can you tell us about European jets? So the European aircraft somewhat or a little bit all over the place, but are somewhat simplified as well. So you have like the Eurofighter Typhoon, which would equate to like the Boeing Hornet or the Lockheed Lightning II. Okay, so they just take the manufacturer and the name of the airplane. Correct. Okay, but then there's some exceptions, like the French have a Mirage F1. and Then the GR1 Tornado. Okay, which is what, German, I think, right? Correct. Okay. All right, well, that'll wrap it up for the European aircraft. Uh, Let's move on to the Russian aircraft. Oh, Russian aircraft. I think this is right in your seat because I found an article written by yourself at Top Gun a few years ago, um, and apparently you were the threat aircraft subject matter expert. I was, yeah. How about I put this back in your lap, (laughs) Jello? See, you fell for it, Popeye. This whole thing was all just to build myself up to talk about my fancy article. No, I'm kidding. No, I do appreciate that. You know what I found was people would mess up the nomenclature of the threat aircraft. And being the former threat aircraft subject matter expert, I wanted to set the record straight. So for those who are unaware, we have just like, you know, regular periodicals, magazines and whatnot, we have classified versions that stay locked in safes in the squadrons and pilots get to read those. And it's a way for us to share information. So you're right. uh, In 2000, what was it? 14, 15, somewhere in there. 15, I believe. Yeah, I wrote an article to cover this. So yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about it. So Russian aircraft have basically two parts to the name. You have the first part, which is indigenous, and then you have the second part, which is what we call it here in the West. So for example, you have an SU-27P slash flanker B. Now you're familiar with that one, right? That's a pretty big fighter, uh, an even match for the F-18. And so the first part of that is... SU. Now, Josh, pop quiz, since I know you read that, what does SU mean in this case? Uh, Sukhoi. Sukhoi. So that is the design bureau for that aircraft. Now, we have to go all the way back to the Cold War and the Soviet Union. They had a central planning that told different design bureaus, not necessarily who made the airplane, but who designed it, hey, you're going to make this, and you, you're going to make that. So Mikoyan and Gurevich, M-I-G, big M, big G, little I, they designed fighters, as did Sukhoi. 
So we know just if we hear that nomenclature that we can already pretty much guess that it is a fighter. And in the case of the number that comes next, that is just the, like in our case, the next logical progression or sequence of the number. Although I found in doing research for that article that for whatever reason, fighters generally use odd numbers and helicopters, cargo, everything else use even numbers. There are exceptions, but that is the case. So the SU-27, as you just said, Sukhoi, and it's a fighter because we know that that's what they designed. And then the P at the end. Now you said earlier that an FA-18F is just that sixth variant and it happens to be a two-seater. But in the case of a P in this one, it actually means a Russian word that somehow modifies the airplane. And it's not important in this context what that word is, but it modifies it in some way. It could be uh, pursuit, it could be reconnaissance, it could be, you know, all those letters that we use at the beginning, like an SR-71, they use at the end. So there is, for example, a MiG-25 Foxbat, which again, you should think is a fighter, but in fact, the MiG-25 RBT, the R, the B, and the T, all talk about the fact that it was modified for reconnaissance. Um, so that those letters, and there are many of them, it's way beyond the scope of this discussion to cover all of those, because sometimes just like the S for us earlier, we talked about surveillance or, or anti-submarine, an S could mean five different things. And it just was specific to the airplane. So a MiG-21, if it had an S after it, was different than a MiG-29 with an S after it. And then that was the first half of it. So then the second half was the name that we called it here in the West. Now you told me before we went on tape that the company, uh, not the company, but the organization that used to do that has changed their name. And what do you, what do you, uh, what do we call them now? Uh, well, what it's called now is the uh, AFIC. So it's the uh, Five Eyes Air Force Interoperability Council that just changed in 2017. Okay. okay, so that's a group of people that sit around and they watch the threats. And when an airplane comes out, they say, "Aha, that is this." And so let's say, for example, you have an Su-30, which is one of those even-numbered fighters. But that is in the family of SU-27 flankers. So they're still going to call that a flanker. But what they'll do is they'll say, okay, that is going to be a subsequent variant. And so we'll call it the flanker G. So in this case, the suffix is similar to the suffix. And let's see if I can do this without getting everyone all tied up. So an F-18C is the third F-18 but a flanker G is the, don't have enough fingers here on my one hand, but seventh or eighth, seventh. Whatever, whatever the number G is, uh, that's that number of variant of that organization that you just said. Now, if a whole new airplane comes out, they may give it a whole different name. And the name starts with an F, a flanker, a fulcrum, a fitter, all those aircraft we call with an F name means it's for fighter. So like our F-18 is going to be a flanker or a fitter or a fulcrum, all right? Um, now, interestingly, Josh, did you know this? The syllables in that name mean something. Do you remember what? Uh, sorry, put you on the spot. Yeah, I'm stumped. It's been <laughs> out of the uh, cockpit for a while no, for that's that. Fine. So for example, a TU Tupolev, they built or they designed bombers. A TU-142 is a bear. bear. So we know B is bomber, but bare, single syllable, is propeller-powered. But a fulcrum, fitter, flanker, jet two powered. syllables, jet-powered. Very good. Okay. Uh, you also have the IL-76 May, I believe it is. You've got a, a couple other aircraft that have single syllables. And so I jumped around a little bit, but so you've got the word that we call it. They try to use uncommon words like fulcrum and flanker. It has one or two syllables. It starts with a letter for what it does. And then the suffix after that is just the next one that we've seen. All right. You good with all that? All good. All right. We bounced all over the bullseye, but I think we got it. All right. What's next on our, uh, on our list? China. All right. Let's talk about China. And I covered that in the article as well. Chinese aircraft are a hybrid, if you will, of American and Russian. And by that, I mean they give the aircraft a name based on the meaning of the word. So, for example, I, I can't speak Chinese, so I'm not going to try to translate it, but the Chinese word for bomber starts with an H. So an H-series aircraft in China will be a bomber. An F, the Chinese word for fighter, starts with a J. 
So you might have a J8F Finback C, for example, the J meaning fighter. Their trainer, that word starts with an L. Uh, you've got attack with a Q, etc. So it's like our system, but it of course uses their words just for the same reason that we didn't use Chinese words. And so that's the first part of it. Then again, like the J8F, you've got the eight, and that's just the next model series in design. And next comes the letter for the subsequent variant, similar to ours, except interestingly, they don't start with the letter A. So for example, an FA18A is the first variant, but a J8 is their first variant. So an FA18B is our second variant, but a J8A is their second variant, all right? We're going to have some confused people out there. Hopefully, they're not listening while they're driving or operating heavy machinery, but we're doing our best here, okay? So that's the first half. That's what China calls their aircraft. And then again, that same group you identified before looks at Chinese aircraft and gives them a name. And in some cases, Chinese aircraft get the same name as a Russian aircraft if it's their variant of, for example, an Su-27. So they may have an aircraft that also is called a flanker. Now, in the case of a J-8F, that is called a finback, and all that half of the word, if you will, is similar to before. So it still starts with an F, that means it's a fighter, still two syllables, means it's jet-powered, and the finback C is the third variant that we have seen. So even though they call it the J-8F, we've decided maybe, and I don't know this to be true, but I'll just speculate, that we thought, you know what, the A and the B are close enough that we'll just call them the Finback A, and the C and D and E are all close enough that we'll call them the Finback B, and then the F is new enough with enough capability or new improved you know, warfare systems or something that we'll call that the Finback C. Now again, don't hold me to those exact letters, but we will lump them together. So a J8C and a Finback C are not the same thing. All right, your eyes are getting crossed over there. You doing okay? Deep breaths? We're good. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that is American aircraft, European aircraft, Russian aircraft, and Chinese aircraft. I don't think we necessarily need to cover anyone else. I'm not even sure who else is making aircraft out there. You know one thing? Did we cover that the, the C on American aircraft sometimes also means like a CF-18? So that is specifically for the country of Canada. Canada. Yeah. And there are Russian aircraft, like the Su-30 MKV. In that case, the M and the K mean modified for export, and the V can either mean Venezuela or Vietnam. So we do have some letters that mean where the airplanes are going. And what else is there, Popeye? What do we, what do we miss? Do we leave out the Indians? Are they making their own airplanes? No. Okay. <laughs> well, so then they're going to probably, what, buy Russian and Chinese and use their nomenclature? Right. And then I think the export modifier would be I for that one? Yeah. So there is an SU-30 MKI, and that is modified for export to India. Now, the K in that example, by the way, is not the same as a MiG-29K, which is the carrier variant, aircraft carrier. And again, they use Russian words, not English words. So yeah, a lot of different words out there and letters and names. And I hope, like I said, our listeners are not too totally confused, but we can put some notes and some spreadsheets on the uh, website there to help people out. All right, buddy. Well, I want to thank you for helping us get through this morass of (laughs) alphabet stew. Uh, You've been a good sport. Thank you very much. Uh, We do have one final traditional question on the Fighter Pilot Podcast, and that is we ask our guests to explain how they got their call sign, what it means, if anything. And so in this case, I've been calling you Popeye. And for the listener who can't see you, although I am going to ask, by the way, for a picture of you that I can put in the notes so people can put a face with a name. Uh, but tell us how you got your call sign, if you would. Mine got pretty lucky. So originally it was roadkill from, um, I, I wrecked a motorcycle and I became kind of ground uh, beef and, Ouch. you know, uh, even ground off my uh, right nipple and nipples do grow back. But, and they didn't uh, call you nipples? No, it, okay. uh, it, it was painful growing back, but that was good. So roadkill lasted for a couple of years. And then when I first checked into my fleet squadron where, they, where the call sign sticks, uh, the S3 squadron uh, became Popeye. So um, I look like Popeye, I guess, and I'm, I got blue eyes. So I was always kind of squinting because the eyes are photophobic to light, you know, just with the typical blue eyes if you don't have sunglasses on. So my right eye is a little bit more squinty, and I had tattoos, and I was prior enlisted. So <laughs> people were like, oh, it's Popeye. 
Well, that one seems to stick because it just rolls off the tongue. Roadkill is not too bad, but yeah, I could see where that could be a little more difficult. Uh, congratulations. You are the first guest to use, what would you say? Photophobic. Uh, photophobic, yes. <laughs> I've never heard of that. And blue eyes, is that true? It, it so is. I need to go home and tell my son. I've got three sons. All of them have different eye color. Oh, really? Yeah. Which could concern me being in the Navy. I, and I was going to say that. <laughs> but uh, I should go talk to my blue-eyed son to watch out for being outside in the sun. Right. The lighter, and that's what the doctor, the flight surgeon said, because I'd, I'd always ask, like, wow, why are my eyes like always squinty? Why am I I'm hurting? They're like, oh, that's photophobia, you know, because uh, everybody with the lighter eye color is more uh, prone to that sensitivity of the light, and the darker eye colors uh, aren't. Okay. All right. Well, at this point in the show, I sometimes ask my guest what the future holds, but you're already retired. You've got the job with the big airline. You're living in Coronado. You've got an awesome wife and family. I think the credits are rolling on your movie, huh? Uh, yeah. It's, we're, you and I live like these uh, reversed ir- mirrored lives. It seems like you're on the other side of the island and I'm on this side of the island, but uh, pretty <laughs> identical uh, in-step uh, post-retirement from the U.S. Navy. Outstanding. Well, we certainly have our share of first world problems, but we're not complaining. Well, Popeye, it's been a pleasure having you on board. Thanks for helping us talk aircraft nomenclature. And uh, unless you got any parting shots, let's wrap this up and get out of here. No, thanks for uh, for inviting me, and I uh, I look forward to the next time, if there is a next time. Well, maybe we'll have to talk seer stuff. Sometime. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Oh, you really played the role in everything, didn't oh, you? I did. It was great. I miss yeah. it. It was good getting to to teach the good people uh, of uh, of our nation how to how to survive. That, that it means a lot to it for sure. Absolutely, well, I, I've heard that from you guys. So yeah, maybe we'll have to come back on a future episode and talk about that. Yeah, no worries. All right, let's get out of here. All right, thanks. Yeah. All right. Okay, everybody, you got all that? Deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. Uncross your eyes. <laughs> okay, I know you're capable of understanding all that, but. I have a way of complicating things, just ask my wife. So I hope you followed all that and it made sense to you and you learned a little something about how and why we name aircraft the way we do, both here in the West and in the East and Europe, et cetera. So my thanks to Josh and it's good seeing him around the island. And again, if you want to hear him come back and talk about Sear School, well, be sure to send me a note and we'll consider that for a future episode. All right. Well, I think that will do it for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, let me tell you that the views expressed in this presentation are the personal views of myself and my guest and do not necessarily represent the position of the Department of Defense or its components. I want to thank you for listening to the Fighter Pilot Podcast, which you can find on our website, fighterpilotpodcast.com, on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you have a question for the show, you can leave us a message at 877-MOCK-101. That's 877-622-4101. Or you can email questions at fighterpilotpodcast.com. You can find us on all the social media platforms you would expect, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Please like, follow, and share us with your network and help this movement continue to grow. And if you have a chance to leave us a rating or review, we would appreciate that as well. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show and come back again. We'll talk about another exciting air combat topic. See ya. Wait, wait, before you go, I almost forgot the aircraft we call Air Force One is in fact a VC-25. So yeah.